check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. I'm Max Dean, and you can find me on Twitter at VMaxDean. Now, today is our first ever divisional breakdown episode. We're going to be covering the NFC East. We're going to go from back to front, so to speak. So after our news with Julius, we're going to be talking about the Giants and the Commanders, then the Eagles and the Cowboys. I have a ton of different guests, some Gridiron Heroics football writers. I've got some awesome YouTubers for the Giants segment as well. So stick around for the first true blue football conversations of our brand new show. Now, to help me cover the news today, we have our very own Gridiron Heroics football show tidbits anchor, Julius Lux. How are you doing today, Julius? I'm doing well. Although this is a football show, I've just been keeping up with the trade deadline of the MLB, so it's it's a lot going on. But other than that, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am excellent. I'm so excited to talk football. I, I loved the first episode. I had a lot, a lot of fun doing it. But really, the reason I'm doing this is to talk football, and this is the first real opportunity to do so. So let's jump right into the news. There has been so much news uh, in the past couple of days and even today, so we're going to try and get to as much of it as possible. What is our first headline for the day? So I think the first headline really stands out, and it's something we've all been waiting for, and that's Deshaun Watson. Um, He's officially been suspended six games for violating the NFL's personal conduct policy. He had over 20 sexual misconduct, sexual assault cases accused against him. And he will not be fined, which is interesting to me. And as we all know, Deshaun Watson was recently traded from the Houston Texans to the Cleveland Browns this past offseason. He did not play at all last year. So what's your take on this? Yeah, so this is a definitely an interesting one. As we followed it all the way through, it, it's interesting that it's arrived at this particular conclusion, and I'll give my opinion on, on why that is. So first of all, as far as the fines, generally speaking, when a player is suspended, they're suspended without pay, you know, if it's as a re- result of violating the conduct policy. So um, normally the suspension, losing the money via that is enough. Now, this is an interesting one because he got the majority of his money for this season all in a huge $45 million signing bonus he doesn't really miss out on much money. So it would be against the precedent set by the NFL to include an additional fine for a player, but it's interesting that it doesn't really seem to be a whole lot of punishment for him. Now, when you look at why six weeks was decided, the NFL and the NFL Players Association, they hire a external arbiter to decide on cases like this. And that was new since the 2020 CBA. But what that means is that she's the one who decides on what that punishment should be. And she is not employed by either the NFL or the Players Association, but rather both. Now, interestingly, written into the CBA is the fact that if after two full years of service, if either the NFL or the NFLPA decide to release her, either one has the ability to do so. So no matter how much pressure there was coming from the NFL to levy a large suspension against Watson, that would essentially remove her of her duties, all intents and purposes, because the the NFLPA would react strongly to that. Now, as far as the NFL is concerned, she has to give some penalty, like she has to find some middle ground. Ultimately, 
Roger Goodell is going to have the final say because if the NFL decides to appeal this ruling, then he's the one who gets to decide or someone of his choosing. So ultimately, it's a little bit nonsensical because no matter what she says, if the NFL decides it's not enough, they have their own way of making it larger. Now, the question is, do they feel that, that public opinion is going to be in their favor of saying, well, they tried to get more, but this judge decided? Or are public opinion going to be like, the NFL has not done enough, and then they're going to have to go and do that? That's an answer that I don't have, but that's how it came to be what it is today. We still have a couple of days for the NFL to file an appeal, so we'll see what happens with that. You know, we'll talk about Watson more as time goes on, but those are my thoughts on on the verdict that we finally got. What else do you have for us today? So this is another sort of suspension, but if you guys remember, the Dolphins were in some news, and this has to do with the tampering of Tom Brady and Sean Payton. This dates all the way back to 2019. So the NFL has officially stripped the Dolphins' 2023 first-round pick and 2024 third-round pick for the tampering of Brady and Payton. The owner, Stephen Ross, was fined $1.5 million and suspended through October 17th. Vice Chairman Bruce Beal was also fined 500 k and he's not permitted to enter any league meetings for the remaining of the year. As well as this was also interesting, the NFL did not, uh, they found no evidence of the team intentionally losing games during the 2019 season, in which indicates the situation with Brian Flores, the former head coach. So the fact they found no evidence that is that honestly that one's kind of slept on because I don't know if you saw the the pictures of the press release but it was obviously headlining the situation with Brady and Peyton in that situation. <laughs> yeah. But if you go down a little bit then it says there was no evidence found and when that came out that was a huge story. That was a huge deal especially in the terms of, you know, Brian Flores just being fired after having a pretty impressive season for the Dolphins despite, you know, going 0 and 7 then winning 7 straight. So what do you see your take on this? I'd like to hear what you have to say because the Dolphins were in news and not in a good way for the last year or so. Yeah, well, this is this one was a bit more of a stunner, right? I didn't know this was coming out today. But here's the thing. I do not believe that the NFL would have levied this punishment on the owner nor uh, the team for just this tampering, right? I just I just don't think that that is their priority. What is their priority is the sanctity of the game, right? They don't want their fans to ever believe that there's tanking. So what I think, this is my honest opinion, that yeah, there was tampering, but ultimately it was probably not the biggest deal in the scheme of the NFL landscape. So what they decided to do was take that violation, ramp up the punishment, because it was really a punishment due to the fact that there was actual evidence for them tanking, and try and come down hard on the organization, show the other organizations, we will mess you up if you do this without actually saying to the public, yeah, one of our organizations tried to tank. That's my opinion. And I think this is a really big deal because if Tua is not their guy, losing a first round pick is a really big deal because they have two. And that would have been an excellent trade package if they needed to go up and get a guy early in the draft or try and go uh, get a, a veteran. Now, to not have that, it just totally changes the flexibility that they have going forward. So especially because I think the 40, it's the 49ers whose pick that is next year, right? So they have their own and they have the 49ers were the two picks they have for 2023. Well, the 49ers, this is a good chance that they're 
a playoff team or close, right? So that could mean having two picks potentially in the top 15 or somewhere like that to, if Tua doesn't work out, to one pick that could be anywhere from 15 to 20 and totally take you out of the top quarterback sweepstakes. So this is a really, really big deal. And honestly, I think it's more about the tanking than the tampering. Yeah, I agree with that. And we go back, We and I think what I've seen on my Twitter feeds too is, you know, we go back to what we were just talking about to Sean Watson, how it seemed like this suspension was more impactful than the Deshaun Watson's. But then again, this is a organization rather than just one player. This is a whole thing with multiple situations on them. And I think, I, th- I don't know, I like remember you were talking about the fans being all, you know, crazed up about the whole Deshaun Watson deal. Because of course, fans on Twitter from what I've seen today are not really happy with the Deshaun Watson. You know, it feels like a slap on the wrist kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Most of the non-Browns fans are yep. are not happy about what that sound, what that what that came down to, but we'll see. We'll see because sometimes sometimes people forget about things very quickly. So we'll see. So what else do you have for us in the news today? So yeah, of course we got Kyler Murray. I say that, and of course we we're both smiling right now because we we all know what we're talking about right here. So of course we know the five year, two hundred thirty million dollar extension that includes a nice little interesting you know piece of the contract that really stood out, and we call it independent study. So uh, he needed at least four hours of independent study which i'm sure we can as football fans we all know what this means this was this was recently removed off his contract and personally if you have this in your contract that's not a good sign to me especially with a franchise quarterback um i'm not a fan of them taking it out because if you're implementing it in the first place there has to be some sort of issue going on or butting heads within the organization. And we know the Kyler Murray Cardinal situation has been a little patchy as of recent before the contract extension was official and agreed upon, but that's just kind of my, my, my take on it. Look, Kyler Murray did this to himself and the Arizona Cardinals did this to themselves. Okay. Because ultimately it's like you said, there is no way this would get into a contract if it wasn't actually necessary. Because it's unprecedented. Now, there have been clauses in various contracts about weight, about certain workouts, about certain hours doing this or that. Never for a top-of-the-market franchise quarterback, ever. You know, any quarterback that reaches that second contract, they are not being held accountable by a clause in their contract to make sure they're doing enough work. So this is 100%, without a doubt, no question, necessary for whatever (laughs) reason. So that's not a good look for Kyler Murray. What's also not a good look, and this is my opinion, if you have to put that into a contract for your superstar franchise player, second most highly compensated player in the NFL, you should not be giving him this contract. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, especially not after three years. You know, I understand he wanted it. I understand that he was eager for it. Whatever the reason, this should not have gotten done. Just my opinion. It really is. And you know what? I understand that the, the careers of Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime really do depend on him working out because they took the first round, or at least Steve Kime took the first round quarterback, Josh Rosen, dumped him to get Kyler Murray first overall. Whatever we want to talk about that, which we, we can talk about that in greater detail another time, but they need him to work out. And he wouldn't have been happy, but I would have said, look, you've got to prove more to us. you got to work harder. We've got to be more successful at the end of the season before we're going to throw down that kind of money. And so now they went ahead and signed the contract. They went ahead and included the clause. 
it got out. Probably Cardinals didn't realize that this is what the backlash was going to be once it was actually exposed or, or you know, leaked or whatever you want to, however you want to phrase it. But now everybody looks awful. Nobody looks good coming out of this. Not the agent who never should have allowed that to be in the contract to begin with. Not Kyler Murray, who obviously needed it. And not the Cardinals, who were willing to shell out this super contract for a player that they weren't confident in his work ethic. This is going to be a recurring thing that we'll cover throughout the season because anytime things don't go well, it's going to be continuously brought up. And I want to see how he reacts to it. And I'm, I don't have inside knowledge of how he acts, but I'm just telling you that this would never be there if it wasn't necessary on some level. All right. What else do you have for us today as we kind of run through the final few pieces of news? So this happened, uh, I think, like within the last couple of days. Debo Samuel and DK Metcalf get their extensions, and I'll run through the numbers real quick. So Debo Samuel gets a three-year, $73.5 million deal with 58.1 guaranteed. And incentives that are included in this bonus, uh, in, in this contract, is if he rushes over 380 yards, 650K is awarded to him that year. And this, this these incentives go for each year of his three-year deal. And if he gets over three rushing touchdowns, he gets a 150,000 bonus. And last year, he accomplished both. So I, if they if they continue to use him in the way they use they used him last year, that versatile run uh, wide back as he called it, I don't see this being a problem for him for him getting these these bonuses. And then DK Metcalf's contract is three years for 72 million with 58.2 million guaranteed. So roughly the same. The same guaranteed money and roughly kind of the same contract in a way. So we all know Debo Samuel's impact with the San Francisco 49ers offense. I think what's more interesting is DK Metcalf because we are looking at a Seattle Seahawks team that got rid of Russell Wilson, who was their franchise QB, took them to two Super Bowls, winning one. Now they go from Russell Wilson to Drew Locke as of right now. Not sure if they're making any progress with Jimmy Garoppolo or any other QBs potentially coming in to start over Drew Locke. But right now, Locke is the guy. So what are your takes on not just, you know, Debo Samuel's contract, who wasn't all pro, with DK Metcalf, especially with what he has compared to Debo? So for anybody out there who's listened to me before uh, and some of my other platforms, I'm, I'm big into the contract and salary cap side of things. So I don't want to go too deep into it right now just because there's a lot to unpack there. What I will say is just this. I'd love to break down all of the wide receiver contracts that were signed this year comparatively, like stacking them all up against each other. But just for these two, Debo Samuel makes a lot of sense. They really need to get him locked down. He was a major contributor for them. DK Metcalf is a little different because not that they shouldn't have signed him, but I am surprised that they were willing to do only a three-year extension just because it's a three-year contract, which means if they uh, decide to move on to another quarterback next year, um, if they're able to get one in the draft, good, you've got your guy who's been there for a couple of years and can kind of be a support system for him. But if they don't get one and they have to go journeyman quarterback one more year, if they can't make that work, then you're just wasting the few years of contract control over DK Metcalf with nobody. And even if you do hit on a quarterback, you're going to have to go right back and sign DK Metcalf and that new quarterback to extensions, like almost one after the other, like it's going to be really close. So it's not the end of the world, but I just, just because of their specific situation, 
I would have pushed hard for an extra couple of years on there, like at least four. And I know he probably didn't want to do five players ever really want to, but I would have, I would have tried to do that if I was them. But it's, that's just my take on it. Yeah, I agree. Two different teams in terms of where they're at going right now. Seattle's rebuilding. 49ers are coming off a NFC division champ game that they lost to the Rams. So that's going to be interesting. And speaking of NFC, we go into the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Ryan Jansen, their center, is apparently going to miss a few months after being carted off with a left knee injury. The 10-year veteran is a fan favorite, one of Tom Brady's anchors on the line. Tom Brady loves the guy, spoken very highly of him, of his work ethic. And then Tristan Wirfs was carted off as well, but I think it was for cramps, so it's not as severe. But Jansen missing, I mean, Jensen missing a few months is going to be a pretty big loss for this offensive line for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, it takes them from one of the best in the NFL to, you know, hopefully good enough. It's a, it's a big time loss. Uh, let's hit the last couple before we move on to our team segments. Absolutely. And this, this again, staying with the Bucks, Julio Jones, one year deal, six million. That can be worth up to eight million, depending on how he does this season. Tom Brady gets another weapon, and we all know the talent that Julio Jones has presented in the past. Currently kind of injury-prone the last couple of years, but I think Julio Jones can get a nice little reignition to his career with the greatest quarterback of all time throwing him the ball. I'm sure if you want to say anything about this, you may go ahead. No, let's move on to the next one. All right, cool. And then the last point that I got is the NFL has released a streaming service called NFL Plus which will offer out-of-market preseason games, live local primetime games, as well as live audio for every game. NFL Network shows and film archives will be available as well. So I like this. It's a nice little boost for the NFL, getting a nice little streaming service. I, I, I think this is pretty neat. Yeah, it's, it's pretty basic. It just means that if you whatever you were able to watch on your basic cable at home, you can now watch that with a subscription on any of your iPhones or iPads or various devices. All right, Julius, thanks so much. Now we are going to have you back for the Cowboys segment at the very end of the show. But next up, we're going to jump straight into the New York Giants with Bobby Skinner and Justin Panic. All right, what an excellent opportunity to welcome two brand new guests. These gentlemen are the hosts of Talking Giants, a very popular YouTube channel with over 18,000 subscribers. We have Bobby Skinner and Justin Panic. Guys, I'm pumped. Welcome. Bobby, how are you doing today? Good, man. We've been uh we've been at camp. We just finished up day 6. We've been going nonstop. It's it's been fun though cuz this is the one time of year where you know, Dan Jones could throw an interception and it's not going to ruin your next two, three hours. You know, so it's, <laughs> it's, it's some of the more fun but busy content we do. So we're enjoying it. Yeah. You know, it's funny how it's just nothing, nothing, nothing. And then football news every minute of every day. Justin, how are you doing today? Good. Yeah. Uh, training camp is my favorite time of the year. I mean, you, your record's 0-0, uh, and especially when you're you know, when you're talking Giants, uh, you know, when your record's 0-0, it's a lot better for when we, you know, even get into the month of October. It's been a a lot better so but there's a lot of new optimism a lot of new faces a lot of fun fun and exciting things happening with this new york football giants team so uh thanks for having us yeah my pleasure and i am a jets fan so 
just so that you know we are on the same wavelength. I, I absolutely get what you mean by that. Literally the same wavelength. We share the same stadium, and we've shared uh, the last five years having tied for the worst record in the NFL. Let's go New York, baby, New York football. So these guys, they do a tremendous job with Talking Giants, uh, with John Boy Media, and I knew I wanted to have them on the show to talk about the Giants. So let's jump right into it. We're going to start off with some new acquisitions. So, Bobby, who would you say is your number one addition that's going to change the way that this season is going to go for the Giants? Oh, for this season, I would probably say Kayvon Thibodeau, long-term. Are we talking just offense? No, we're talking anyone you want. It's whoever you want to bring up as who you think is a key player. So it could be offense, could be defense. Yeah, long-term, I would say Evan Neal, but short-term Kayvon Thibodeau. You know, those are two positions the Giants have been lacking. You know, they turned their weaknesses from the past five years into strengths. Now they have Thomas and Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojolari. But Thibodeau has been brought in to be that top dog edge rusher. You know, and in years past, it was like good coverage on the back end, but we just cannot get to the the quarterback, even if we're blitzing. Like we're having struggles getting to the quarterback. So Kayvon has that pedigree. He has the ability to be a star in New York. And we've seen some good flashes of it so far in training camp. So Kayvon Thibodeau, I, I, I know it's a cop-out to take the first pick of the draft uh-huh. for your team, but in reality, there's a reason why he was that guy. Um, and for me, that's Kayvon Thibodeau. And especially on a year where you had no cap space and your, your biggest signing was a six mil a year at, at annual average value. Yeah, you know, <laughs> there's no cop-out when it's a top five pick. That guy is supposed to come in and change the face of your yeah. organization, you know? And you guys have some guys on the defensive line, but he definitely should change the effectiveness of your pass rush, especially when you're only trying to bring four. Justin, what about you? Who would you say, uh, or if you want to throw out one other player that you think is going to change the Giants' structure going forward, what they are as a team? I mean, I'm not even going to kind of go with the player, but I'm going to go with a little bit more on the coaching side. And, and for me, it's Mike Kafka. I mean, adding Mike Kafka to the mix with Brian Dable as well, because Brian Dable is obviously the head coach. The majority of the, maybe the offensive scheme is going to be him. But... Mike Kafka, I feel, coming from the Kansas City mindset, complements Brian Dable very well. Some of the areas in which Brian Dable was weakened, kind of maybe the screen game, some manufactured targets, that's where the Kansas City Chiefs did very well, screen game, manufactured targets, getting the ball in their skill position players' hands, getting yards after the catch. That was even a little bit of an area that Brian Dable was probably about average mediocre in. But Kansas City, yards after the catch, that's just what that offense does while also stretching the field. So I'm going to go Mike Kafka in the way that they can complement each other as offensive minds in charge of the offensive scheme. Good call. And I'm with you. So back when it looked like Adam Gase was about to get the can in 2020, Dable was my number one guy, even as early as... I want to say October that year, I I fell in love with him. And so he does such a tremendous job of scheming uh, differentially each and every week. And he's one of the best at attacking opposing defenses in a new way, which I love. And then you bring over the, the play creativity from Kansas City. I do think it's an excellent marriage. So let's jump into the offensive side of the ball and I know that there is some optimism. There are some things that are inevitably going to hold them back. So, Bobby, what would you say is the greatest strength of the 2022 Giants offense? Well, I don't want to give the same answer as Justin, but I think schematic, like schematically is what we're looking for this year because you have a quarterback in Daniel Jones who's most more likely than not your long-term future. 
But I'll say just the, the usage of the wide receivers. You have talent in the wide receiver room. Kenny Galladay, while you know, our Giants fans regretting the signing, yeah, probably. But he's still a very capable player who's, you know, good at those contested catches, and he's not just a contested catch guy. You know, he's put up a lot of yards and touchdowns in the NFL. So you have that. Kadarius Tony, who has the ability to be a star. You know, uh, you know, he's he's my favorite guy to watch on the team. Just the things he can do are different. And you've seen it so far in camp. He's going to be a big part of the offense, and he's going to excel at it. And then Shep, he's coming off the injury, so you're not asking much. But Wandale Robinson, who they drafted in the second round, they have, they've been using him a lot. They've drafted him 43rd overall for a reason, regardless of whether, you know, the outside consensus thought that. Like, they have they have talent in that wide receiver room with four guys. And you even have a guy who was their number one wide receiver two years ago is their number five and six in Darius Slayton. So it's just how you use a wide receiver room that has talent but is also very different each guy. Yeah, there's a lot of versatility there. And I, I don't think that – Maybe anyone outside of Galladay is kind of that classic receiver, but they all have very specialized skill sets. So, Justin, what would you say if something is going to hold back the offense under the new coaching staff? What do you think that would be? Just say the the availability or lack thereof. Saquon Barkley is a guy that has struggled with injuries. Daniel Jones is a guy that has struggled with injuries. Kenny Galladay, injuries. Kadarius Toney, injuries. Sterling Shepard, injuries. You know, the, the list can kind of go Thomas, on. Even Andrew Thomas, too. Even, even Andrew Thomas, even though he's kind of played through it a little bit through his rookie year, but he did miss some games last year. And when Andrew Thomas started to miss games last year, that's really when the Giants offense really started, started to take a bit of a bad nosedive. So um, the lack of availability, you know, is what will make, if the Giants offense is average this year, the lack of availability of guys is what will put them at a below average rate uh, and placing yet again. So that is the thing that I am most worried about this year, and, and that could be a weakness. Yeah, and we've seen teams that have struggled with it, you know, historically in the past that that tends to just rear its ugly head. Uh, you know, there are a lot of teams that have made massive efforts to change the way that they do things to avoid that. And I know that the Bills have had excellent injury history over the past few years. So hopefully Dayball is going to be able to bring over some of that knowledge and, and implement that for you guys as well. So, Bobby, I'm coming back to you, but we're going to transition to the defensive side of the ball. Now, what would you say is defensively going to hold them back? We talked about improving the pass rush, but they've had a few losses. What do you think is maybe the downside of the defense this year? Their secondary might be like not just an issue, but a huge issue. You know, you look at it going into last year, you had James Bradbury and Adora Jackson as corners. You put that tandem up against anybody in the league. Xavier McKinney, Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers. That's a fun trio of safety. So your DB room, you lose James Bradbury, you lose Peppers, and they cut Logan Ryan um, for reasons we still don't necessarily know. So now you're left with Adora Jackson, who had an outstanding year last year, like outstanding in coverage. Now he's playing cornerback one, though. So how does he do in that? Now you have Aaron Robinson as your cornerback, too, who played slot in college, and you're putting him out there. And then, you know, Darnay Holmes in the nickel. And then you have Xavier McKinney, who's very good starting at safety you run a lot of three safety sets. Your third safety is a fourth-round pick who just broke his collarbone. So not only is, the, is it just when the starters are out there, a unit that could be taken advantage of, but one injury to Xavier McKinney or Adoria Jackson takes it from a, a secondary that's probably not that good to possibly the worst in the league, and you're coming win with a, a defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale, who his defense with the Ravens struggled with injuries, but with those injuries, had the 32nd-ranked passing defense in the NFL. So... With the way Wink Martindale plays and just the personnel they have, I mean, if the Giants have the 32nd worst, you know, passing defense in the NFL, I wouldn't be surprised even for a second. 
So, Justin, what about you? Let's move over a little bit to the positive side. What do you think would be what holds the defensive up if there are issues with the back end? Well, you know, what's, you know, it's funny, you know, we're talking about how Wink Martindale and his aggressive scheme, it could be the thing that makes the Giants passing defense the worst in the NFL. But also, I wouldn't be surprised if we end the year saying that Wink Martindale and his schematics and his aggression is one of the main reasons why the Giants, the Giants defense stayed afloat this year. You know, besides 2021, Wink Martindale has led some pretty damn good defenses and he has done it his way with the high blitz rate and really forcing the offense to go by his terms, not the other way around. He has done that in spite of where the NFL is headed, where defenses are playing too high. Defenses are allowing offenses to complete the ball underneath and then just come up and make the play and try and limit yards after the catch. Wing Martindale does not operate by letting an offense dictate the pace of the game. He wants to dictate that. So really, you know, I, you know, the, the Giants front seven, uh, you know, with Kayvon, you have Aziz Ojolari, Leonard Williams is still involved. You know, they have some talented guys and get after the quarterback. If Wink can scheme up some ways to get to the quarterback and, you know, alter an offense's plan, um, that could be one of the main strengths of the Giants defense and a reason why they stay afloat this year. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious, so I didn't prep you guys for this one, but I do want to know, were you glad that the Jets took Sauce Gardner at four and left Kayvon available for you? Or were you honestly preferring to uh, get Gardner because we know that corner is really important for Wink Martindale's blitz packages he needs that guy locked down so what what were your thoughts in that moment Bobby um you just turned my brain back into mush which it was before the draft because Kayvon <laughs> versus Sauce was like I just I would switch every single day eventually I ended up with wanting Sauce because I think Sauce I just rated him as a better player than Kayvon um but I'm happy with what they have and you know whoever's next door is drilling isn't as happy um, but I wanted <laughs> Sauce, but I I, de- I didn't I didn't go to sleep at night thinking about Sauce Gardner. I thought about I was thinking about Kayvon Thibodeau. So, but I I definitely wanted Sauce for what Wink Martindale does with you know yeah. press long press man corners and and Sauce was, was my fa- he was my favorite player overall in the draft uh, as a whole. But then Kayvon was like a third a third in that list. Yeah, and what about you, Justin? You the same? Yeah, um, I. I wanted Kayvon just because of the superstar ability in New York. Now, I think Sauce can also bring that superstar ability too, but just being an edge rusher and a guy that gets after the quarterback, I think is a little bit more flashier. So um, the Giants haven't had that game-changing pass rusher in, in quite a long time, you know, and that's when the Giants were kind of at their best when they had those game-changing pass rushers. Obviously, the game has kind of changed since, you know, 10 years ago when the Giants had those game-changing pass rushers, but um, I, I think the I like the upside of Kayvon um, on the Giants, you know, more than Sauce. However, I mean, I would have, I would have loved either or. Yeah, you know, so I, I'll tell you, as a Jets fan, I'm diehard. I, I would never change. But I have fan jealousy, right? And so even though the Giants have been bad, I am still jealous of Giants fans, especially if you've been around for a while. I mean, if you want to just drop a Super Bowl championship, maybe once per decade, I can deal with some bad teams between them. New York's last championship was the New York Giants. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. It's been a while. So hopefully we'll have one sooner rather than later. And personally, I do hope it's football because I know this is not true for necessarily a lot of New Yorkers. Basketball is it's fun. It's a fun sport. But I just don't care about it that much. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm all football. Uh, let, let me flip it on you. I want to ask sure. you a just question. Sure. Was Garrett Wilson the wide receiver you wanted at 10? Mm-hmm. So good question. I'll be really quick because this is the giant segment. But 
We just turned this into an NFL draft segment. You got to start it. <laughs> hey, man, we, we have so many shows lined up for the rest of the summer, so uh, we'll, we'll get to it all eventually. I'll be having Matt Waldman on to talk rookies later on. So uh, I, I saw the wide receivers as Garrett Wilson 1A. I did believe he was the best. Uh, I saw Drake London as 1B. I did want Drake London because I felt that he offered a more varied skill set than what they currently had on the roster. Uh, he is a contested catch guy who he's just so much bigger than anybody else they have. And Elijah Moore is already a separator, smaller guy, can do stuff with yak. And so I was, I, and I verbatim what I said was, Garrett Wilson is the best wide receiver in the draft. Drake London is the one who I've kind of fallen in love with in terms of just the, the team fit. So I would have been happy with either. I like it. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. I Next year, we're going to do a much longer segment per team because we started the podcast just around training camp. I only have time to do a divisional episode versus an entire team episode. But I want to give you guys a chance to shout out anything that you've got going on, uh, whether it's your channel, whether it's any other projects, your Twitter. Uh, let the Let the listeners know. So, Bobby, what you got? Yeah, it, it's just t- talking Giants. If you're a Giants fan, if you're not a Giants fan, look up Talking Football. We the la- we have some NFL draft breakdowns on there. On there, once the season gets rolling around, we're gonna do some individual play breakdowns and stuff. Yep. So we we got some things planned for. So if you're not a Giants fan, Talking Football. If you're a Giants fan, Talking Giants. Right on. And Justin, no, just uh, you know, if you're a Giants fan, hang out with us. You know, I think we uh, we do it bigger and we do it better than uh than a lot of people out there. So uh. Hang tight with us and John Boy Media football coverage. Like Bobby said, that talking football, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be uh, pretty fun too. Yeah, absolutely. You guys do a great job. And thanks again. We will see you very soon. Appreciate you, Max. Playactionpools.com has launched as the newest sports pool hosting platform. Playaction is your spot for all of your football contest needs. Whether it's a pick'em or a survivor pool, Playaction has customizable options for picking against the spread or straight up. You can pick for the NFL, college, or both. Check out their exciting Build Your Bankroll format, which operates as a virtual sports book. You know your buddy who's always bragging about what a great handicapper he is? Put him to the test with PlayAction's Build Your Bankroll feature. PlayAction is the best service available for your family and office pick'em pools, and it's what we're going to be using for our first ever Gridiron Heroics pick'em this season. Join our Pick'em at PlayActionPools.com today for free, and you can play along with me and all of our writers for the 2022 season. If you love their format, and I know you will, you can use our special code HEROICS for 15% off your very own family or office pool. Go to PlayActionPools.com today. All right, I am very excited to welcome one Nick Miriam. Nick is a writer for Gridiron Heroics. He covers the Washington Commanders, and he talks about the NFL Draft. He's also the co-host of Boomer Bust, The Draft Show, which you can find on YouTube or anywhere podcasts are found. He's got a lot going on. He just finished a degree in broadcast journalism from Syracuse University with a minor in sports management. He is about to start a job as a scout at Sports Info Info Solutions, and he had an internship as a scout for Syracuse football. So you are your football through and through, my friend. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing great. Um, we talked about a little bit before the show. I'm excited that everything's getting started, and it's just it's it's exciting seeing all these new players kind of get involved in training camp and all these teams posting different things about young players, rookies, second year guys, free agents. It's fun. I'm excited about it. Can't wait to start watching some games. So, I came across Nick on his show Boomer Bust, the draft show, and uh, in this past draft cycle, I was listening in. I was checking out what your guys' takes were and everything. And so you guys do obviously primarily cover the draft and the prospects, but you also talk about the teams that you follow a little bit as well. And anytime the commanders would come up, there was just this resignation in your voice. (laughs) I don't even know how to describe it, only to say that, I feel it myself because I am a Jets fan. And I just knew, I was like, when we do the show, that's why I need to get on to talk because I just, I, I relate to that so deeply. So let's get into to the Washington Commanders. We're going into another season with head coach Ron Rivera. There's been distractions here and there throughout the off season, but it hasn't been the story that they hoped when they brought him over after his his run with the Panthers. Let's talk about this upcoming season and I want to I want to ask you about the two players that have been added that you think are the most important, but while you do that, kind of give me your thoughts on how it's gone and what it's going to look like this year. So, whenever you go out and you acquire a quarterback and this has been kind of the the main thing for this team over the past couple of years, I think they really have Rivera and company built up a roster that two through 22, if you call the quarterback your number one most important player, is very solid. They even got their kicking situation better now. I think they got Joey Sly in there. He's like, everything seems to be going well. They had some issues on defense last year, but I expect they'll bounce back just based on the law of averages on defense in the NFL. So they have to go out and get quarterback. And I think they really wanted Russell Wilson. And, you know, he chose Denver, which can't blame him, I guess. Uh, (laughs) So we end up with Carson Wentz who I was not a fan of as a player last year. I think the Colts also have a similarly talented roster that will likely be in the playoffs this year. And I don't know that he ruined their chances, but certainly he is to blame for some of the games they lost that gave them a shot late in the season to make the playoffs. He's had issues with inaccuracy ever since his lower body injury, which um, I'm on record saying years ago, I, I live in Philly. I know a lot of Eagles fans that he has always kind of been an upper body you know, larger in the upper body, lower body, a little bit smaller, that ACL tear uh, maybe hurts a guy who has been kind of based around his upper body strength because he doesn't have that base anymore. And he's still trying to play as the athlete as he was, and he's just not the same athlete anymore. Um, So they need to convince him to kind of take the easy throws every once in a while, make correct decisions. And you just, he still continues a lot of the time to try and extend plays, make crazy throws, and throw interceptions that are mind-boggling. Um, sometimes he makes an awesome throw that you're like, wow, that's impressive, and not many players can do that, but it's it's become far less. And these are the type of plays that really, if you're not doing them well, they're so volatile. Like Only guys like Patrick Mahomes really consistently can convert those plays, maybe Aaron Rodgers as well. And so far in training camp, you've kind of seen that. It's kind of been up and down. It's like week one, and he's learning a new offense, so maybe it gets better. Uh, but as far as Wentz has gone, they've, they've been pressured a lot. It's a really good front four. He hasn't dealt with it well, and that's also been a constant in his career is that he hasn't dealt with pressure well. And it does concern me because I do think the quarterback position is what they need to go well to put this team over the top. 
And if they have sold effectively all the chips and pushed all the chips in the table, he said, we're sending two picks, we're taking on this contract. Wentz is our guy. He has to work out. Otherwise, I don't know where this team is going into the offseason. So that's that's a bit of a negative with the one addition. But I will say Jahan Dotson. Definitely big. Yeah, it's, it's a big one. I mean, that's that's the position you need to work out in today's NFL. But I would say if you're going to get the other position right these days, it's quarterbacks and pass catchers. And it's kind of been McLaurin and like a few other guys who have kind of every once in a while popped up, like Logan Thomas for Washington, Curtis Samuel can't stay healthy. It seems still having issues with practicing, uh, which is a concern. Uh, but they go out and they drop Jahan Dotson from Penn State this year, who I had like an early second round grade on. So I wasn't thrilled by it other than they, that they traded back for him. But he's been fantastic so far. Um, just really NFL ready, just smart route runner, deceptive at the top of his route stems, quick. Uh, didn't test super well, but he's probably more athletic on the field than it showed in this testing. Um, and he has this huge catch radius, which is similar mm-hmm. to McLaurin and is a big deal with a guy like Wentz who is inaccurate and will force his receivers to kind of use that catch radius. So we do see those receivers kind of making up for some, you know, if he throws from Wentz every once in a while. And I'm excited for Dotson because I think he will probably produce pretty early here. And I expect that of the guys who went in the first round, he'll be at least immediately one of the more productive, like week one type guys. Yeah. You know, I really liked John Dotson. He, he's a smaller guy. And when you talk about that catch radius, it's because he doesn't drop anything. If it's anywhere close to him, it's just sucked in. So I, I really liked watching his film. And he didn't do as much down the field, but like anywhere, I mean, you talk about anywhere from the backfield to the flats to the underneath stuff from like 20 yards, like it doesn't matter where he is on the field. He's just going to suck that ball in. So I, I, I think that was a good pickup for them. And I think it, it accentuates the receiver room nicely. So we, you've already commented on this a little bit, so we don't have to go into it too, too much. But what would you say the primary strength and weakness would be for the offense going forward. Yeah, so I think the whole roster outside of quarterback is not is pretty good. Like I really think, again, I said two through twenty-two. I think they are up there in terms of the NFL now that Denver has their quarterback. Um, in terms of teams that haven't had their QB situation settled, which is tough because now you're you know winning eight games and you're not able to draft the top QB in the draft. Um, so it's hard to pick a weakness outside of quarterback on offense. So it's going to be the accuracy of their quarterback. It's going to be the inability for them to consistently get that good play from Wentz. And they might have a good game every couple of weeks, but they're also going to get games that are that are going to hurt their chances of winning for sure. Um, and that's kind of been a constant with this team with Taylor Heineke and one-legged Alex Smith and Dwayne Haskins. Um, mm-hmm. I will say one thing that's exciting is this team has led the NFL in motion rate under Scott Turner, their offensive coordinator for the past couple of years. And motion is just kind of this free information now that everyone needs to be doing the NFL. Some teams still refuse to do it, but you should be doing it on every play because it's, it's free information. You figure out you know, if they're playing man or zone, mm-hmm. sometimes you learn, you know, what the, where the defense is trying to move pre-snaps because they're rolling their safeties and you'll get them to kind of move a little bit because of the motion. And it's just, it's, it's maybe a little more complex for some younger offenses to learn, but really, if you're able to, you should be running motion on every play and they do it at a very high rate. So that's one thing that I think continues to be a positive for this offense. If you follow the team, you probably already know what we're going to say here, but let's talk about the most uh, dominant part of the defense and then what a potential weakness would be going forward for the season as well. Yeah. So it's the front four and chase young might miss a game or two, maybe, maybe three. I don't know. We'll see. He's probably going to start off missing a couple of games for this team, but even without him, I mean, 
Deron Payne is their worst starter <laughs> outside of Chase Young, and he's still pretty solid. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to sign him, but he's pretty darn good player. John Allen is probably a top five defensive tackle. Montez Sweat is another physical freak at edge mm -hmm. who happens to be their second best edge player. They have been really good. And last year they had injuries. John Allen had a career year, which was cool. But I think early on you saw them not play as well because on the back end, they had communication errors, a lot of new guys learning a system. And you would see against, especially the first game against Justin Herbert, you know, Young or Sweat would win their one-on-one -on -one battles against the tackle but they wouldn't have any time to get the QB because Herbert could just throw a quick eight yard in route to, to, to Keenan Allen consistently every play. Daniel Jones did this against them too. Just get the ball out. Your pass rush can't get there um, against a secondary that was just trying to figure everything out. Um, and so, I mean, I know you're probably going to say we're going to go to a weakness next, but I, I have it written down. Everyone's pointing at the secundary and I really think their secondary is talented. I mean, McCain had a really good body. McCain, free safety, had a good second half of the year. William Jackson got better as the year went on. He learned the system. Keenan Allen had a – or Keenan Allen. Kendall Fuller had an amazing year. Uh, Slot-wise, they're still figuring out. But Danny Johnson was solid. Benjamin St. Juice is a second – a third-round pick from last year who they like. They have depth at safety. They've drafted some guys. Cam Curl's been really good. Um, linebacking court is an issue, but they have a first-round pick they're trying to develop. I don't think they're roster-wise bad in the back end. And I think based on what we've seen in camp so far, the communication is better. They're playing well. Um, what concerns me is the depth. They don't have a lot beyond starters on defense. Um, if you see an injury, for example, who the guy behind Chase Young is a guy named James Smith-Williams. I don't know if you know who James Smith-Williams is. He's not great. Uh, <laughs> so that's what we're relying on at edge right now. He's fine, but it's it's that's your that's your third edge. And your third linebacker is David Mayo. And your Danny Johnson's your fourth corner. Uh, but again, then a guy that most people are going to know. Um, safety, their third guy is Percy Butler, who's a fourth-round pick. Uh, Derek Forrest is a fifth-rounder last year. Seems to have gotten a little bit better. But again, these this is what you're relying on. It's mostly these kind of uh, later draft picks that we've had over the past couple of years. Yeah, you know. They've spent a ton of high picks on defense and, and a bit of money, too. And when you do that, you tend to forego, wh whether it's offense or defense, you tend to forego a little bit some of that depth just because you feel like you've already made that in investment and it's hard to justify. But what that does is it, it sets you up for potential downfall as the season goes along. It's true. And, you know defensive linemen are rotated so heavily like they need breaks so even if you got a bunch of really good players you either have to set it up where they're not all playing together a fair amount of the time just so that you always have some of your best ones on the field or you have these waves where you've got your really good line and then you throw out there a bunch of guys who can't get anything done you know and you end up yeah. giving your your first rotation a lot of snaps and at the end of the game you know sometimes that can come back to bite you the last thing is you know the one thing about Carson Wentz is I just have to wonder what his confidence is like after everything that he's he's gone through you know um, say what you will about him he's gonna have to have some serious resilience to have been essentially dismissed from his last two teams both of whom whom viewed him as the guy at one point so that that'll be challenging too so we're going to get out of here soon, but I want to get your best attempt at a prediction for the season's win-loss record. I know it's this far out. It, it kind of doesn't mean anything, but I'm curious what you think. I think this is a really tough team this year, and I think people on the outside wouldn't 
really get that. I think this is one of those teams on a, if you look at the curve of their outcomes, they have like a fat tail of outcomes, which means they're going to be sporadic. They might crash and burn or they might be better than people think. Um, and I think the Washington fans would know this because they've watched this team. They've watched Rivera kind of prep them for year three. Year three has always been like his year for this team to break out, knowing that the roster would be ready. They'd get the quarterback. So I think everyone's kind of like, what are they closer to? Six wins or 11? I don't know. Like, I'm going to say eight, and that's such a cop-out. Like, I think they're an eight and nine, nine and eight team. Maybe they sneak into a wild card in a weak NFC. I don't know. Um, but I think ultimately they're probably going to see kind of the crash and burn front office and, and football divisiveness we've seen when coaching staffs they've had fallen apart. Or, you know, they've done a good job of having the football team kind of separate, getting a locker room ready to be confident in themselves and break away from the business struggles that have been around the Snyders and everything else. Maybe they get it right this year. I don't know. I'm not going to guess. I don't want to. It's a coin flip. I'm going to say 8-9. <laughs> uh, and I just, I don't think they'll make the playoffs. But I don't know. There's, there, if this were Philadelphia and they had this roster, I would predict them to make the playoffs. That's the way I would put it. Yeah, I get it. The, the thing I worry about with them is whether it's quarterback or GM or head coach, if you wait a year too long, if you have just a middling season, you get to the end of that, and you, you end up asking yourself, uh, what would it take for us to just get over the hump? It's like it's a cycle we see over and over and over again. And then that's when you start to make bad decisions. You reach for a player in the draft at a position where you feel like you're a little weak, but maybe he doesn't necessarily warrant that draft spot. You go out and you spend a bunch of money in free agency to try and get over the hump, as they say. And we just, we never really see that work. You know, we, we know that the best run teams are the stable ones and it's better to move on a little too early than too late. So we'll see. Nick, I appreciate it very much. Thank you for being here. I want to give you the opportunity to tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter, where your written work is. And of course, we will have you back at some point to talk about the draft. Yeah, of course. I, I enjoy doing this stuff. Um, I'm at Nick with sports, all one word, lowercase Twitter. You can find at Boomer Bus Draft on Twitter, as well as our draft shows podcast Twitter. We are also Boomer Bus the Draft Show on YouTube. Check out our videos, which should be picking up once the season starts. We really get into the gear around January, which is when the draft season really gets going. But other than that, you will probably see me doing a little bit more here and there as I start working and doing some other stuff. I'm kind of figuring out now that I'm out of college and getting it all straightened out, mm -hmm. but I'm excited for where we're going with, with this season. It's going to be fun. Right on. We will see you very soon. All right. I am very pleased to welcome two guests for the Philadelphia Eagles. We have two Gridiron Heroics writers. First, we have Eric Hitch, who is a writer for the site covering the Philadelphia Eagles. He just completed a media and communications degree at Delaware Valley University and uh, had an athletic director's internship there. So he's jumping into the sports broadcasting world. And we also have Dalen Mickle, who writes for the site covering the Philadelphia Eagles, Clemson and App State. Dalen is also calling college football games with Learfield Sports for the upcoming season. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm not too bad. Thanks for having me. I, I'm very pleased to be getting into the football of it all. You know, we just released our first episode on Monday. We're chatting about what to expect from the podcast and the site. But today, 
It's real football. Dalen, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Guys, it's a quick segment. We're going through all the teams pretty quickly today. So let's just dive right in. The Philadelphia Eagles are coming off of a playoff appearance that didn't go exactly how they hoped. And they have accumulated a lot of pieces. They've done some serious work to become even more competitive for the upcoming season. So to kick things off, Eric, who would you say is one of the biggest acquisitions for the team this year? Yeah, Max, uh, you know, very busy offseason for the Eagles. And one acquisition I think that really is going to play an important role this year is definitely going to be Hassan Reddick. The They're actually going to be playing a 3-4 defense this year, I've been told. So he's going to be playing that linebacker, hopefully rushing the passer more than dropping back in coverage. But the reason it's so important is because they finished second to last in the NFL in sacks last year with only 29. So we're looking to hopefully see Hassan Reddick really get out there to pass the, the quarterback and uh, get the sack total up this year for the team. Yeah, you know, they're probably going to be switching a little bit closer to that Staley Fangio defense that kind of started to take the league by storm over the last few years. So I think he's going to play a key role for them. Dalen, what about you? Who would you say is the most important new player that the team has acquired? I'd have to go with A.J. Brown, just because the Eagles this year are trying to go to more, more towards a passing offense. And last year, they were one of the top three rushing offenses in the league, which actually turned their season around after we started off around like two and six. And then they traded for A.J. Brown during the draft, actually, with the Tennessee Titans. And this was a push that Jalen Hurts made to get him another weapon. And it's just something that will change our offense tremendously with only having two real pass catchers last year with Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard. Yeah, he is big time. He's actually debatably with Debo Samuel, he's actually my favorite of that 2019 class of receivers who all got their big contracts. So I was really excited for the Eagles to pick him up this offseason, you know, and I think that they're still going to be an excellent rushing team, but this will hopefully help them expand that passing offense, make them a little bit more dangerous in those games where you've got to get yards fast. So let's talk about the offense a little bit more. Eric, this offense is loaded with talent across the board. So if you had to pick one part of it that you would say is the true strength of the team on offense, what would you say that is? If you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan, you got there's really only one simple answer to that, and that's the offensive line. Uh, they've been a top offensive line for the past few years now, and actually even pro football focus, uh, Mike Renner actually has them ranked the number one offensive line coming into this year. So they also, like we said earlier, they did help turn the season around with the number one rushing attack last year, which, you know, when Hurts got hurt, it really put the pressure off him with his ankle and was able to, they were able to pave the lane for the, for the running game. And no one really could stop them until we got to the playoff game and you know what happened in Tampa Bay. So, yeah, I, I actually have them as my number one offensive line heading into the season as well. So, Dalen, if you have to go a little bit negative here, we have to point out at least something that could be a potential weakness or maybe holds the offense back a little bit. What would you say that is? I'd probably have to go with the tight end group because last year, yes, we had Dallas Goddard, but he was really our only tight end. And we had Zach Ertz, but we ended up trading him to Arizona. And after him, really, all the tight ends combined for less than 100 yards on the season. So somebody else would have to step up to go alongside Goddard 
because if something happens to him, then we have nobody that we can really rely on. And we did draft Brent Calcatrera, I believe his name is, out of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So hopefully he can turn into that number two guy. And we also moved J.J. Arcega-Whiteside from wide receiver to, t- to tight end to hopefully, you know, research his career. Yeah, you know, it, tight ends as, as, as rookies are notoriously uh, difficult transitions into the NFL. So hopefully Calcaterra can can make an impact. Fortunately for you, at least your number one guy is a legitimate weapon, you know, yeah. and it, you know, aside from any potential questions about Jalen Hurts, the fact that that is the potential weakness just shows how loaded the offense is with talent. Let's jump over to the defensive side of the ball and, and switch it around a little bit. Eric, why don't you tell me about what you think the potential weakness for this defense going into this season might be, where teams might be able to exploit them? For me, it's going to be the linebackers. Eagles never really have put a lot of emphasis in the linebackers. However, this year it did change a little bit with the third-round pick, Nicobe Dean, um, also picking up Kaiser White as well from the Chargers. So a little bit of uh, optimism in that point. But it just seems, other than the 27th, 2017 season, which is when obviously the Eagles won the Super Bowl, they really haven't had fantastic linebacker play. So we'll see if uh, Kazir White, I've also heard that Nicobe Dean actually isn't even getting starting reps right now. So we don't even know if he'll be a starter come start of the season. But like I said, it's something that they really haven't put a lot of emphasis in. They don't really believe in the linebacking linebacker position. We'll see. So I think that could definitely play a weakness. Yeah, I think if you asked the average fan about Howie Roseman, they would essentially say something like, he's a good good GM, but he doesn't do enough at linebacker. I feel like that that's just the general consensus. Look, I think they've made investments. I think it was awesome that they were able to grab him in the third round after that fall. Who knows about the injury? They seem super confident with it. Um, but it had to be at least, at least something to drop that far in the draft. All right, Dalen, what about the strength of this defense? If they're going to be dominant, what is it? This year, it was kind of a toss-up between the secondary and the defensive line, but I'm going to have to go with the defensive line because that's something that's been a staple for our defense. And Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham, we obviously know are on the back end of their career. And we did draft Jordan Davis at number 13 overall, and he won't have to start right away. So he can kind of learn behind Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave. And Javon Hargrave was one of those guys that kind of had a breakout season, so he's somebody else that we can rely on. And we also paid Josh Sweat a three million dollar extent or three year extension for forty million last year. And then some of the other young guys like Teron Jackson and Milton Williams, we also have that were rookies last year, who also can step up and help out in that role when we do eventually lose Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox. Yeah, you know, one of my favorite things about what the Eagles do, and I'll tell you this right now, I'm I'm not an Eagles fan, but I'm a fan of the way that they do business generally they prepare their team with future starters before they're needed. I mean, you look at the offensive line, they've been drafting uh, players high there for a while. The same true is for the defensive line. I love how they get Jordan Davis in preparation for Fletcher Cox to move on. They make sure they bring him back for one more year. So he's not expected to start right away, but he's there waiting in the wings. You've got Cam Jurgens for the same on uh, offense. I think that was the plan with Landon Dickerson, but he ended up starting at guard. And he played really well there. So they're like, let's not mess with that. Let's just bring in another guy to be the future center. I really like the way that they do things. So let's talk about what the expectations are for this season. It's always tough to predict 
any type of actual record because we know that there are so many things that could happen. Injuries, guys break out, guys don't do what we expect. We, we know that it's just a guess. But if I force you to guess, what would you say? Eric, what do you think the record for this season is going to look like? That is a tough question. So to me, the Eagles have one of the easiest schedules this year. Because of that, I'm going to predict 11 and 6. I'm a little bit optimistic with this year. Again, it all to me it all comes down to Jalen Hurts. Has he progressed enough from last year? Has has the arm talent gotten a little bit better? Does has the passing game improved? If that's the case, I could see his team winning 12, even 13 games. But just the unknowns right now, I'm going to say 11 just because of how easy that schedule is. And do you think that they can make a, a real push in the playoffs or they might still be limited there? It it all depends on Jalen Hurts for me. To me, to for me personally, you'll 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 probably read some of my articles, me being a little bit critical with Jalen Hurts. I'm not the biggest believer yet in Jalen Hurts. I need to I need to see it. I, didn't, I haven't seen enough yet. So if he takes that leap forward, you know, the sky's the sky's the limit for this team, I think, at this point. Um, again, it's all going to come down to the QB. And, you know, if you're a Philadelphia sports fan, you know, we put all the pressure in the world on the quarterbacks here. So <laughs> that's true. Dalen, what about you? What do you think? I'm going to have to go that same route. I'm thinking about 10, 11 wins. And I think also, aside from Jalen Hurts, also our running backs. If Miles Sanders can stay healthy, because if he's not healthy, we're kind of running back by committee with Kenneth Gainwell and Boston Scott. And then just seeing who that third running back will be, just because in the playoffs, you know, you have to be able to run the ball to be able to win. Yes, you can pass, but running the ball usually sets the tone. And with how easy our schedule is, I think we should be able to win 11, 12, 10, 11, around that type of games. And just make some noise in the NFC East because it is very weak this year with the Cowboys actually getting worse. And just there's Carson Wentz and the Commanders and Daniel Jones with the Giants. Just none of those teams really scare me for our Eagles. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm very optimistic about their season. I What I hope for them is that he shows that he's the guy. Because if that's true, they will be truly contenders for the 2023-2024 season. And I always view everything as a two, three-year-at-most window when you're looking at rosters. So it would be nice for them to have that answer. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. I really do appreciate it. Eric, where can all the good people find you? If you want to shout out your Twitter handle or any of your articles, please go ahead and do that. Yeah, so you can follow me uh, on Twitter at the Real Hitcher. Uh, and again, look forward to many blogs I will be posting in the upcoming future. All right, Dalen, what about you? You can also find me on Twitter at Sports, and that's where you can find me. I'll be posting articles there, some of my takes, some sports betting articles, things like that. And I do just want to throw out this one last little tidbit. Eric is going to be one of my beloved assistants for the game recaps as we go through the rest of the season. So we're going to do this a little bit in the preseason. We're going to couple cover a couple of the preseason uh, weeks. But of course, when we get to the regular season, Eric is going to be helping me along with Dave to get all of those games out to you early, early Monday morning. So I just want to tell him how much I appreciate that because that is, that's a pretty big responsibility. All right, guys, thanks again. And I will see you all very soon. Now to look forward to the 2022 season, for the 2021 division winner, Dallas Cowboys, I have two guests with me. One you already know, Julius, and we have 
my great pleasure, Matt Royal. Matt is one of the Gridiron Heroics writers for the Dallas Cowboys, but he does generalized NFL and CFB coverage as well. He used to write for Fox Sports and iHeartMedia, and as a matter of fact, he actually coaches in professional baseball as well. Matt, how are you doing today? Uh, I go back to school as a teacher tomorrow, so other than that, not too bad. (laughs) Sounds fun. All right, guys, we're going to dive straight into the Dallas Cowboys. There is a lot of hype surrounding the team. There are some questions. Some players have moved on. Some players have been added. But we're going to jump right into those new additions. Matt, who would you say is the biggest offseason addition for the Dallas Cowboys? So one thing with the Cowboys in terms of additions that I really liked, it's not necessarily a player. Um, They brought in Robert Prince to coach the wide receivers this year. He has a connection with Kellen Moore that dates back to Boise State. They were in uh, Detroit a little bit together, and now he's on the Cowboys uh, staff as the wide receiver coach. I believe he's double-digit experience. I want to say he's 15, 16 years coaching that position. And with the recent news of James Washington's injury, that position now is a lot more critical in that Dallas locker room led by C.D. Lamb. There's, uh, you know, Tolbert as the rookies in there. They signed the uh, USFL player as well. So there's a lot of inexperience, per se, in that locker room right now. So I think Robert Prince has his hands full with this group and uh, his ability to transform them and make them play at a higher level than what's asked of them is going to be key with this Cowboys offense and Cowboys team. Yeah, that's a lot of experience going from uh, Amari Cooper as your number one and C.D. Lamb as your number two. CD Lamb is your number one, and you know, essentially a, a rookie is probably your second or third pass catcher, depending on what uh, what uh, the tight end does there this year. Julius, what about you? Who would you say is the largest addition this offseason? So I got two names to throw out here to begin with, of course. The Cowboys didn't make too many big, big-name splashes in the free agent market this year. They tend to not do so. But one thing I noticed is that they do, they have drafted pretty well over the last couple of years, and those are the two guys I'm going to cover. First one is Tyler Smith, their first-round pick. And I say this because the offensive line, uh, the depth is much needed in the offensive line. So I think Tyler Smith, if he fulfills the expectations Dallas has for him, he's going to be a big, big addition, as well as the rookie Jalen Tolbert, as Matt mentioned. He did great things for South Alabama. I know it's a small school he came from, but experts called him a sleeper pick and such a big wide receiver draft class. And I believe Tolbert has a great opportunity to make an impact now being expected to be the second receiver with the Washington injury. Yeah. So I I think they've done enough to bolster the offense. I think it ultimately will depend on how Dak Prescott plays. He's been largely a very good quarterback over the past few years. This is easily his biggest challenge. So I'm confident but there are no doubt questions. Let's jump over to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, uh, A unit that I don't want to say overperformed, but definitely exceeded expectations last year. Matt, what would you say is the potential weakness of this defense if they were to not be as good as they were last year? I mean, you look at the roster on defense and a lot of those names are back. Uh, Randy Gregory's departure, we'll see how that works. Um, I know the secondary... uh, I blanked on his name. Colts guy, Freeman, um, coming in at safety. Is it Freeman? I just blanked on his Malik name. Malik Hooker. For that. There you go, Hooker. Um, coming in at safety. But with this defensive group, the thing with me that I'm looking at, I just, 
I don't see the turnovers happening again. I just, I don't think Diggs is going to rack up double digit interceptions. I don't see the Cowboys picking up, you know, 24 interceptions through the air. Um, so with that, how is this defense going to play if the takeaways are not there every single game? We may not see as many opportunities this season where Dak gets the ball on the 20, you know, the opposing 25 because of a pick or, you know, we, we just, we, we, we flip the field real quick because we'd return an interception for 45 yards. If that doesn't occur this year, how is this defense going to still perform and allow this Cowboys team to win games on the defensive side of the ball? So that's kind of where I think the weakness is not so much, you know, just what's the plan if we aren't getting the turnovers this year, because last year out of nowhere, Hey, we're going to come out of nowhere. We're going to come in and take the ball away and force fumbles, but we haven't seen that from this defense in a while. So the odds of it happening again, probably less. So I'm interested to see how they react to games where they can't take the ball away from the offense. Yeah. You know, is interceptions in particular have generally a large variance from year to year. So that would be a tough thing to count on going forward. So Julius, if that were to be an issue or if maybe if it's not an issue, but it's not as great as it was last year, what aspect of the defense do you think can carry them? What do you think can be the strength? So the number one thing I think that everyone needs to also realize is Dan Quinn is back. There is rumors that he was going to be a head coach somewhere else. Vikings showed interest as well as other teams. The return of Dan Quinn to me is huge, especially going to the second year. Obviously, as you mentioned, exceeding expectations, especially from the prior year when they were one of the worst defenses, not just in football, but in football history, period. Like that was just depressing to watch. And I, it was just, yeah, Nolan, you know, getting rid of Nolan, upgrading to Dan Quinn, who, you know, coached the Legion of Boom in Seattle and turned that defense around impressive enough. And we're also getting back the defensive player rookie of the year, as well as the runner-up for defensive player of the year, Michael Parsons. I mean, that's enough said. I know the linebacker depth is not super deep, but Micah Parsons, you know, 88 total tackles, all pro as a rookie, 13 sacks. He can line up on the on the defensive line as well as, you know, take coverage and, and cover tight ends. Yeah, defensive leadership is strong with the Dallas Cowboys. There's no doubt about it. Um, so hitting on the offense just as a, as a collective, Matt, who would you say is, or what would you say is the singular strength? Because they had a lot of weapons. Traditionally, they've had a very strong offensive line. With some movement here and there, what would you say is the current strength of it? I mean, I've seen this team utilize backup running backs in very unique ways. I would like to see Tony Pollard really step in. Not necessarily, I mean, not necessarily a starting job, but almost a 50-50 workload if, if Zeke's not up to that status that he was, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, but in terms of your question for that strength, um, I know Julius mentioned rebuilding the offensive line through the draft with the depth, but I do think that that front line is going to be super important for Dallas. I'm going to include the tight ends as well, uh, just from the blocking ability, but creating holes for Zeke and Pollard is going to be huge, especially if that wide receiver depth isn't there. I'd like to see Dallas go sign Cole Beasley. I'd like to see them maybe look into um, like a Will Fuller, just someone who knows the game can go run routes and catch a football. Um, but that offensive line has to protect Dak. They have to get the running game going because if not, we saw the Cowboys before Amari Cooper showed up and it was rough trying to move the ball through the air with no one open. So I think that offensive line, giving Dak time, creating the running game is going to be huge for this team's success and one of their biggest strengths. So Julius, if there was something that was going to hold them back for this year, if there, if some of that fluctuation uh, in terms of personnel 
came back to bite them, what would you say that weakness would likely be? Yeah, so number one, as Matt pointed out, is the offensive line. That is basically the bread and butter of the Dallas Cowboys system. We take it back to 2016-2017 when that was the strength of the team. And you see it impacted not just Dak Prescott, you know, having more time to find an open receiver, hopefully, but also Ezekiel Elliott. This guy was a two-time rushing uh, champion. He did play with an injury last year, so it did limit his stats a little bit and held him back. But this is also an offensive line that last year also couldn't contain the 49ers defense in the playoff game in the division round, even when Nick Bosa was out with the concussion in the second half, like a concussion, hopeful, I think it was. But I remember he missed most most of the second half, and the O-line could not stop him still. This team does not have a certified swing tackle. Um, I believe, I think Josh Ball is the guy that's a top option right now. He missed all of his rookie seasons, so their only swing tackle right now is someone who has no NFL experience. Um, they haven't had a center quite yet to fill Travis Frederick's shoes, but Tyler ba- uh, Bazadaj is the guy that's been doing really well. As of last year, he improved and took big steps. He's got to improve his strength according to sources around him and the coaching staff within. If he can improve his strength in the blocking department, it's a big difference because when Travis Frederick was the center, that's when we saw the best of Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, Tyron Smith, injury prone, since 2016 has missed 32 games. And when you are an all-pro left tackle in the most, in probably the most important position on the offensive line and you're injury prone, it, it does damage especially when the depth is not strong. Uh, Zach Martin also got to stay healthy. He's been doing well. And um, I also, like I said, it's it imp- it's going to improve on how well will Zeke run if this offensive line is set. And the other thing that Matt also mentioned earlier was the wide receiver depth. We have Michael Gallup, who's on the PUP list. If he is on the PUP list beginning of the 2022 season, he will have to miss the first four weeks. That is huge, as well as... James Washington, six to 10 weeks he's out for for his foot injury that he suffered. So right now, the only two guys that we have on our wide receiver depth that have NFL experiences are number one, CeeDee Lamb, and Noah Brown, who's mostly used for blocking purposes, not the best of receivers. Now the rookie, Jalen Tolbert, is going to be the guy that's going to most likely be the number two receiver. Because if you look at the rest of the depth chart, it's all rookies except for one guy who was our fifth round pick last year. So I believe... Dallas is going to have to dive into that free agent market to get somebody because right now the wide receiver depth, I'm not confident in. So now that we've covered the basics, this is a a cursory look over, over the Cowboys for the year. But now that we've kind of laid it all out there, Matt, what do you, what do you want to predict that their record might be this year? I know it's always challenging this far out, even week one, you don't really have any idea, but what do you think it's going to end up around? So just kind of going through their schedule and I'm I'm going to assume that Dallas will make a move at the wide receiver position. They'll bring in someone. They'll find a way to make this offense survive until we can get you know Gallup back and 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 the guys that we are asking to perform for us. But kind of going through their schedule, they should make the playoffs. Um, I do think the Eagles are going to be better. The Giants and Commanders obviously are going to still sit at the bottom of the NFC East. But the Eagles, I feel like, will be a little bit more competitive. But I see this team flirting with 11 wins. Um, I think 11 wins is doable. I do think their schedule softens up um, towards the back end. I know Green Bay and Minnesota are mixed in there, but Houston's on that list. Jacksonville's on that list. Um, You know, the Colts, we'll see what they look like with Matt Ryan, but there is some easier competition towards the end of the year. But like Julius mentioned, right out of the gate, they're going to get tested. They're going to be put on the spot in front of, 
the world on whether or not this offense is going to work and whether or not they're ready to go for the 2022 season. Um, but I think 11 wins for this team with a wide receiver move is very doable. It sounds pretty fair. What do you think, Julius? I agree with Matt. I think they're going to go 11 and six. Um, the NFL ranked them as the 10th toughest schedule in the NFL. And that has a lot to do with the beginning of their season. They do have tours with the AFC South as well as the NFC North. They play all the teams in those divisions. Um, what is really clutch, though, is they do have a bye week in week nine. So that is split right down the middle. So I think the I think 11 and six is a fair thing. First, they'll, they'll go back to back NFC championships, I think, NFC East champs. And I think the only time they'll lose in the division is one game to the Eagles. And that'll be away in Philly because the Eagles have upgraded a lot, to my opinion. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. It's been fun to go over our very first divisional episode. The NFC East is always one of the most fascinating in football. Sometimes they're great. Sometimes they're not so good. But no matter what, the coverage is always just insane. So you you got to talk about it. So next week, excuse me, on Friday, we are going to be doing the AFC East. There will be some interesting movement with teams there. And a lot of great guests coming back. Before we go, I just want to give you guys the opportunity to shout out your Twitter handles, your media, anywhere that people can find you. Matt, how about you? So I don't have the social media stuff right now. Um, kind of took a little hiatus break from it over the last year and a half or so. <laughs> um, but Gridiron Heroics, definitely you can find me or you can catch me at an MLB stadium maybe on a Thursday night. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Gridiron Heroics for sure is where my content will be all football season. Right on. And Julius, we know you well, but how about you? Yeah, so on Twitter, GotJuice44. You'll see me on Great Iron Heroics with articles on Dallas as well as any other coverage that's going around in the NFL or NCAA. So GotJuice44 on Twitter and just Julius Lux on Facebook. All right. Join us Friday morning or anytime you want to listen to the AFC East. We'll see you soon. <laughs>